Hello and welcome to Stories of the Crispy Drawer. This is Season 4, Episode 9, The Grilled Garlic Shrimp Joke. Recorded April 1st, 2021. So, today is going to be a little bit uh, less, less, uh, less structured than most. I had an idea of a structure talking about, like, you know, the Suez Canal and various other things. But let's just go straight into it. The memes from the Suez Canal are great. I've even seen video games getting in on it, like uh, War Thunder. But approximately about close to $54 billion of goods not delivered on time because of that incident. Um, the canal uh, pilots are now working <laughs> pretty heavily to clear up the backlog of almost 400 ships. Um about 200 in each direction or so, trying to get through the canal, as well as the multiple ships that may have decided to t- go around the uh, around the southern half of Africa, around co- the uh, Cape of Good Hope, <laughs> taking that extra 6,000-mile-plus journey to wherever they have to go. It's It's been a big thing. But boy, Evergreen, ever, that big ship, Ever Given, getting stuck there, one of the largest container ships in the world. And then, of course, on March 27th, a container truck on the Chinese highway owned by Evergreen also crashes and blocks a highway. The memes just write themselves. It was a funny, funny, funny event. And what else? Uh, You know, the uh, George Floyd, Derek Chauvin trial is currently going on. It's in day four. And they had some issues getting jury, getting good enough jury. And there was fear that the jury may be biased because of the fact that they are in the city of um, of Minneapolis, if they don't give the right verdict, may the people of the autonomous zone around George Floyd Square and other people go out and riot and loot and burn again. So you, you'll wonder if that might be a pathway of appeal for uh, Chauvin's lawyers if it turns out they do get a guilty verdict on either murder three or murder two. But we'll, we'll see. Um, It'll be a while till we know that. I, I'm not particularly happy about that uh, trial being televised. Don't think that's a great idea, personally. It seems like one of those things would be better. It just it's done and over with. Like you don't know who the jurors are. You you only know who the prosecution is and the defense are. You don't need to know who various witnesses are, various professionals. You don't need to have the judge know. Until after the fact, like it just it feels like that this would have been better as a trial handled under wraps. And that's just my opinion. I could be completely wrong about that. But we will have to see how that ends. <sighs> but yeah. And then uh <sighs> slight COVID things, a little delay on getting the AstraZeneca um, vaccines, which people have made an issue about because of a very few people having um, blood re- you know, blood clotting reactions to it. And then there was Johnson & Johnson. We've heard that uh, up to 1.5 million Johnson & Johnson vaccines may have, in fact, been damaged due to human error at the plant making them. That's terrible. Uh, maybe even more than that. I, I, I think like 1.25 was what I saw, but it could have... I may be misremembering it. could even be 25 million, but I'm suspecting it's the lower number. Let's just quickly look. Uh, vaccine. Yeah, let's see. 
Let's see. What was the batch? 15 million. Oh, jeez. That's, that's almost half of Canada's population right there. Oh, that's terrible. That sucks. But unfortunately, mistakes do happen in rush manufacturing. Um, Reason had uh, Ronald Bailey talking about how COVID-19 may very well have been the last great pandemic because technology is getting so good that we could get past it. Although at the same time, um, about 100 seniors who have been fully vaccinated have tested positive for COVID. The question is, is the positive test like truly COVID or was it effects from the vaccine? So it's worth uh, getting that researched. And it's April Fool's Day, which means that f- there are a lot of funny headlines and funny fake news stories going around. And I'm, I'm like, okay, but there's also a lot of serious crap going on in the world. And you kind of, like, you should say, this is an April Fool's article versus this is a serious article. At least at the end of the article, like, just to say that. It, it, it seems maybe a good... Uh, good idea especially since i've been on facebook and seeing all these things and i'm looking at like yeah that's definitely fake there's there's no way that's a serious article (laughs) but it uh uh, what was one uh i saw earlier today oh yeah about uh you know trades going on the nfl and other stuff (laughs) one guy actually taking uh Going back to the Microsoft uh, Suez Canal thing, somebody actually put uh, Ever Given in Microsoft Flight Simulator. That's pretty freaking funny. Uh. Then, uh, that's what else came to my mind last night when I was thinking about it. Because I, I recorded another episode, another version of this episode, and I thought, ah, it's not that great. Throw that out. Jeez. Um, oh, Sometimes you can't fully remember what you were thinking about, and that's annoying. Um, it was it was not related to COVID. It was more related to governments and how. Oh yeah, that's right. How um, governments are spending us into oblivion. And it, it was from a National Post article about how um, how the Canada might pro- will most likely follow the Americans, and how Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, sorry is raising taxes in the United States, so Canada might very well follow that up by raising taxes in Canada. The problem is, according to the article, even if you raised taxes on the uber-wealthy, it would probably only count to about three days of how much money the current federal government is going through, yet alone the provincial and municipal governments. So there's obviously going to be a reckoning at some point that uh, these governments are going to have to be like, oh, we can't spend ourselves into oblivion and expect somebody eventually to pay for it or you know taking away um inheritance from people and taking away family homes and taxing that it seems like a lot of the options for solving debt is punishing people who were smart with their money and i'm not saying that people who are done with their money should be punished either i think that the government should freaking back off on a lot of these taxes and reduce the amount of overkill bureaucracy in their services and possibly even and providing services and release those to the private sector with tax incentives for them to do it for to the for the uh, public good such as saying like hey doctors um you work four days a week if you work a fifth or sixth day 
um, or you know, you do two weekends a month at a as a free job, the hospital we will cover the equipment. And your salary from the week that you decide to do that will be completely tax-free or some other deal like that. You get, like, you know, you get a time period that, of tax-free wealth that you basically just get. And the government's like, oh, and we're keeping our hands off that because you, you are charitable with us. I think that would be more effective. I think people would be more charitable with giving if they weren't punished for making. Okay. And that was just sort of my thought. And I know, unfortunately... Both political sides, um, the left and the right in Canada and the U.S., they spend as it's convenient for them. And then they get criticized of when they do it. And, of course, then you have a thing where um, the opposing side was in power, gets this deal, then the new side comes in, and it's not the right deal, so they try to change it, and then everyone who got this glorious deal is now mad the new government's like, but we don't have the money to pay for that deal, and we never really did, so we're rescinding it. And then everyone's mad about, oh, well, we don't want to do that. It's like, well, unfortunately, I, I think the knowledge of that is is that governments might need to start signing, start informing the people they are hiring that their contracts are subject to the political will of the parties and, and populations in power. That you don't get, uh, you don't get a guaranteed contract. Or if you do, you get a guaranteed job, but you may not get guaranteed wealth from it. And that just seems unheard of in today, especially with the public sector union power. I think you might want to start doing like a public sector job. You might want to put a caveat emptor on saying like, you know, buyer beware. If you are taking or, you know, employee beware, your pay scale may be completely wiped out based on political whims of one party or on the financial realities of another, or, you know, you may get a windfall one year because the party that you support is in power, but next year the party that doesn't like that may completely strip your ability to make money and say, like, no, you got to go to a third of what we were paying for you because your position is an auxiliary position in the government, and largely we have no real way of showing competency with it. Like, we're not testing you. We're not seeing how successful you are with it. And an interesting story, uh, a side story from that was uh, L.A. County. Um, some of their lifeguards are getting paid two hundred plus thousand dollars a year, and one guy, one lifeguard, the best paid is like three hundred ninety-seven thousand dollars a year. That's including bonuses, misses, and uh, what else? Uh, base salary was like two hundred fifty thousand, uh, like two hundred. I, I think it was two hundred and something thousand. Um, low, low to mid two hundred thousand dollars, and then he had like twenty five thousand dollars in perks, and no, that was bonus pay, and then he had like a hundred and thirty thousand in perks that came out to three hundred ninety seven thousand dollars, and the research on it basically was this guy is just senior. He's just been there for a very long time. He has very little medals of commendation. Um, he's almost sitting now that. Oh, uh, what was the other thing? Uh, most of the people who were very high on the pay scale seem to have not been good lifeguards. Like they were more administrators and more signing signing stuff and setting schedules versus actually going out and saving people's lives, which makes you think like, okay, yeah, they should get, if they're administrators, they do deserve a little bit more pay. But 
if the people who got all the medals for rescue in 2019 <laughs> are getting under 100 are getting like 60k and the guy who just gives them their timesheet sheet schedule uh he's getting 397,000 <laughs> because he's just an administrator and he's the assistant chief it's like yeah something needs to change there and I'm picking uh, ocean lifeguards. These are ocean lifeguards. The uh, pool lifeguards are dramatically less and much more realistic pay scale in reality. But you just see this and you're like, what? It's just like how um, Seattle's most paid public employee was like a $400,000 a year uh, police officer who had so much overtime, it was technically impossible. Like he would have had to have worked like every hour in a year plus 20% to get the overtime and pay he got. Now, of course, the way the union argued is, is but, well, overtime pays as if he was working two hours instead of one and all this other stuff. And then when people were looking into it, his lieutenant captain were like, yeah, we just, he signs, the, he writes the sign sheets and we just sign them. Like, but you don't test to make sure he's actually being honest with you on the timesheets? And there are some people who do that even in the private sector. There definitely are. Are there CEOs and high-ranking people in the private sector who are way overpaid? Absolutely. Look at the video game industry CEOs in the publishing houses. EA, Activision, Take-Two Interactive, those guys are just way overpaid for what they're actually delivering. And it's just insane. It's insane. And criticism of corporatism and then government cronyism is you get both of those. <laughs> These publishing houses are largely going to become a thing of the past eventually because self-publishing over digital media is going to be easier to do. But it's just, it's disappointing to see that. And it's like the wealth these people have and they, they get these massive bonuses meanwhile laying off people that that bonus probably could pay their salary for a year for. for Specifically with Activision where they laid off 200 people and Activision CEO Bobby Kotick who's worth $3.2 billion or something like that, walks away with a $200 million bonus for the year after laying off 200 people. Now, granted, did he, was he the one who decided to lay those people off? No, probably other teams and departments farther down did it, but he in some, he would have either been informed or either task or improve, approved the general planner or something like that. He probably didn't know the individual names but he would have known the general idea of what was going on if i was a ceo and i was laying off people i'd be like okay i guess i'm not gonna get a pay raise or a uh you know or a bonus but if and then you stare at like oh wait we actually made money this year then why are we laying people off it just ugh, it's the annoyingness of um how politics in both government and in major corporate uh corporatist empires work and that's my criticism of it. I don't like how those things are then chalked up to, oh, that's capitalism at its best. It's like, no, that's capitalism at its worst because competition can't fairly enter that market space. And I know that people will say, well, there's no such thing as a free market because it's very hard to enter the market space. I agree. But you have to then understand who are the people who are writing the regulations that restrict people from competing with them. Who are writing the regulations? They're restricting uh, major 
uh, internet authorities such as Google, Facebook, Twitter to be challenged by opposing parties. Well, Google, Facebook, and Twitter, <laughs> and Amazon usually have some say through lobbying action on how the regulation should be for the for their competitors. And what they basically do is, for us to exist today, this is what the competitors need to do to start. It's like, but you're a multi-billion dollar company, and you took each of these pieces of regulation individually. You're demanding a competitor who has 10,000 users versus a billion has to do what you are doing with a billion. Like, There's no effort and scale there. It's just they have to do exactly what we are doing, no matter how big or small they are. And that's corporate capitalism. That's crony capitalism. That is, that is corporatism, unfortunately. And most democratic governments just go in that direction. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's annoying. It's annoying to see that because there are legitimately great people who have great ideas who get promoted and get, you know, somehow become millionaires and billionaires. And then they've actually worked their butt off and they try to do other stuff. And then everyone else falls apart and gets mad at them them or you know then they after getting to the top of their throne they cr they realize hey i don't want anyone at this level so then they uh, instead of building a stairway up they build a slide way down <laughs> it makes it very hard for anyone to get to their level what else uh oh yeah so there is a park uh in the city of calgary um donated by and named after mr Richard Haskane, who is a philanthropist and philanthropist and uh, oh God, you know, oil executive who has done extremely well. He bought this this large area of land uh, in Bear Spa. It was a farm, and he's donated to the city to make a park. Now, here is the hilarious part of this: the land he donated has no roadway access. Nobody can drive into it except through private property, which is through another guy's farm field. And he is not happy about that because he is not getting, you know, any compensation for the damage to his land for the road to exist and is not getting any perks or any trade land, which is usually a technique that cities try to do. They trade land for areas they want to take. But of course, he's still technically in Rocky View County. <laughs> So there's this whole thing of, uh, you know, your park is surrounded by privately held land that you do not have the ability to take over. And I was reading that in the paper yesterday, and I'm just laughing at it. It just, I feel bad for everybody involved because it seems like Mr. Haskane, who bought the, par bought the uh, farmland to donate as a park, didn't think about access to it. The city definitely didn't inform him, well, we don't have any right to access. The farmland owner is kind of getting bullied into giving access, but what he wants is, how about you build an underpass for the railroad so that cars can come and go and put a proper road in, so that way if, you know, 40 people decide to show up at the park and there's a big train, they're not sitting on my land for 30 to, minute, 30 to 40 to possibly an hour or some god-awful amount of time that could happen with trains, especially since that is a location where... Um, two trains will meet, one will go on a side rail, and the other one will continue through, and then you have to keep going, and they don't usually wait that long. They usually, like, once the track is clear, they start moving in the opposing direction so they can get mo their goods moving faster. 
seems like there's stuff there that needs to be thought about and should have been thought about. So, really, I, besides from the farmer, I have no pity for anybody else involved in this. Why didn't Mr. Haskane buy the other land from the other guy? That seems like that would have been the ideal thing and probably would have gotten better than fair market pricing for it. And it's, it's sort of one of those things where you want to give, but it hurts. And not a, not a real swipe, but if you're buying a park to put your name on it, maybe just buy a park, put your name on it. Don't give it to the city. You take care of it. He's already donated to get the business school, the University of Calgary, named after him. And, you know, it's immortality projects like that that I just stare back and I'm just... This isn't, this isn't for them. This is for you being glorified by other people. Because, oh, look at you, how good you did. You gave us a park to ride on. Well, now it's quite funny. Now the egg's on your face. Because you gave a park that nobody can really get to unless they walk. Ugh. I am. I love that. It's just, it shows the bad thinking of people who want to be remembered as great beings. How they sometimes overstep everything because they think it's all like, oh, this is for my memorial. It shouldn't be any problem. And then the reality comes out and it's like, no, it is. No, it is. Ah, it's just, it's hilarious. What else? Uh, <laughs> that really got me going on that. What else was there? There was something else in my mind to talk about. Um, oh, Johnson Johnson single-dose vaccines are supposed to be arriving in April f to Canada. That'll be good at the end of April, though. <laughs> COVID-positive rates continue to surge. I don't know how this is happening, who's doing it, but it seems like uh seems like there's a a couple of answers for these um this covid surge that we're happening in Alberta right now as most of the world seems to get it. It's interesting that Texas is not getting it. Texas has been open and they've had a consistent 17 day straight downward trend. Whereas countries and areas that have done this tepid sort of reopen, a slight reopen, are not seeing it that well. And I wonder if it's, um, I'm just putting this thought out there, I wonder if it's that people are so desperate now, that the resources they are getting are so low, that they honestly don't give a crap. They honestly just, I don't care if I'm sick, I need to go do something. I need to make money. I need to buy food. I need to do this. Like, I can't wait anymore. Help is not on the way. Help showed up, and it turns out it was not worth it. Even though our government is sending these stupid, like, employment checks to small businesses and stuff like that. I, I bet there's so much money left on the table that people need. The government's just burned through. I also would like to know the fraud rates for a lot of these things. Uh, I think it would have been easier if the CRA just said, yeah, uh, we're not going to tax anybody this year. They're just like, yeah, there's no income tax. There's no income tax, and uh, and we're just going to refund everybody the income tax we took from them. them or actually say, no, from, two, from 2021, fiscal year 2021, to fiscal year 2022, so from April 1st of 2021 to April 1st of 2022, there's no income tax. You get to keep 100% of what you own, of what you uh, 
you get to keep it from what you are paid. And I think that would probably help a lot of people out once the business start going up. But it makes you wonder if, um, because we can't have these large events and pay people who would normally be supporting it, a various part, portion of the sector is completely not making money in the economy. How they are searching for gig work and doing whatever they can to make money. So we had a case in Alberta where, um, specifically in Calgary, where Joey's in Eau Claire had a COVID outbreak and it was connected to two other restaurants. And what they suspected was either a DoorDash, Uber Eats, or um, Skip the Dishes driver who may have spread it into the wait staff who then spread it into the restaurants. And then you get the question of, okay, so this guy did that. He probably spread it, this uh, person probably spread it to the people he also delivered to, which now makes those numbers artificially high, which means you might have one case connected to potentially 100, 100 if not more people getting directly infected. Now, they should be able to figure out who this person is, and they should be, that person should be punished, because they were sick and they went about their day. But the restrictions have been on for so long, the complacency and the just people getting annoyed by it, this is what's going to happen. You need to either be super strict, which at this point is not going to work. People are just going to be like, F this. I don't give a crap. I, I want to have 30 friends over at my house. I got to do this. This has been a year going. You have, like, every time you do something, you fail at something else that would have been very effectively done. And, of course, the government only responds when somebody else throws egg on their face, much like how the only time the airports are now an issue is because... The premier's brought up, like, we're doing all we can in the provinces, but the feds control the airspace, and they're letting people come from wh wherever without being tested. Which means that when we get something under control, somebody else brings the virus in and spreads it to new populations that weren't being infected. Which means, you know, if you're only... The only reason the federal government exists is to defend the liberties of the, inv of the citizens of the country. Arguably, that's probably the only reason they should exist. That national defense... If the government is completely, if the feds are completely incompetent, or something like anybody can come and go as they please, but uh, as soon as the outbreak happens, the provinces have to completely shut everything down. It's like, boy, um, has the levels of government failed to understand what their job is? It should be the feds who should have had the most calculated and most professional response first. Good luck getting that from any of the political parties in Canada. That would have never happened. I'm suspecting there were a lot of bureaucrats who um, who were in disaster planning that were completely shut up by doctors who were freaking out over, this is a new pandemic, we have no information on it, versus these bureaucrats who had built this pande these pandemic plans that have been updated throughout the years. And we're like, well, let's just go to the plan. And doctors are like, throw that out, you need to listen to us now, we know everything. And the guys who wrote the plans are like, but... We, we, you consulted with this on this. We asked you to write a pandemic plan before a pandemic, and this is what you said to do. And now there is. It's throw the manual out the window. <laughs> it seems like that's just how it is. And then when a one layer of government fails, they blame the next layer up. Then the next layer up blames the feds, and the feds blame everyone below them for being incompetent. And then everyone below that, below the feds, blame the feds for, hey, you guys never had a plan. You, you did stupid things. You thought, oh, we can buy our medicine from China, and then China laughed at us. And said, <laughs> yeah, you're holding uh, Huawei's uh, VP 
and you have never really done anything with her, and we're holding two of your people. And, oh, yeah, remember all that PPE you glorious, you graciously sent us when we absolutely didn't need it? Well, we'll sell it back to you. Oh. What was it? It was like, what did it cost to make a mask that you sent us? It was like a dollar. We'll sell you back our counterfeit mask at two fifty. Seems like there was a lot of problems done here by a lot of people who, um, just, it just seems like the track that we are going on, which is bad right now, but it seems like this tepid response of open a small portion of the economy up is just not working. And obviously shutting it down wasn't effective either because people just were like, oh, this, I need to make money. I need to go do things. What really, like, what's the option now? Who, who are, uh, why is it going up today? Why is it continually going up? Are there other things being involved? They were talking about how youth sports may be a way of transmitting it between people who wouldn't get it. And I think that there might be an evidence for kids who can't get sick from the virus are still carrying the virus into their family homes. And then, in, and you know, like, you know, there could be that asking between each other. There could also be people who work in youth sports who have a slight little cold. And they don't realize it's COVID and spreads that. It seems like there's a lot of information here that isn't well planned and thought out. And we seem to not know where we're going. Seems like there's a lot of problems here that aren't being properly solved. And then you got the uh, stupid pandemic hospitals and the non-optional, if you test positive, you must go to a government facility and a million-dollar fine and, like, years in prison if you don't follow the, the quarantine plan. What about people who are fully vaccinated? Oh, we don't have a plan for that yet. More Canadians are being vaccinated in the United States than are being vaccinated in Canada. So I'd rather fly down to frickin' Arizona and wait in line for my turn, because it's probably going to be maybe the end of April versus here, which might be June, at the end of June, if we're lucky, but considering that two shipments have been delayed multiple times, and we seem to just buy resources from countries, and then when they sent it to us, we, we just like how the U.S. did it when the U.S. had massive stocks of Pfizer, they sat in warehouses because nobody had the logistical plan of who should get them. And it goes all the way back. Like, probably there were bureaucrats who thought about this way back in the old COVID and before, prior to COVID, the old pandemic plans of what to do. And of course, because they aren't doctors, we threw their opinions out the window. And doctors know what's best, but doctors don't understand economics. So they'd rather have us sit inside and do absolutely nothing. Start, potentially starve our economy to death, which means that by the time we're able to come on out and there's no virus anywhere, there's no money. There's, no, like, the capital has been wiped out. Government has insane debt. There's just, there's no desire to do anything. The the people have got onto this, oh, well, if I sit at home and do nothing, I get $2,000 a week. But if I go and work, I get $1,200 a week. So why don't I just sit at home and do nothing? The ultra-rich have been wiped out because there's like, oh, well, all the companies I invested in have gone under because there's no employees at them, and I'm just going to do a capital flea. <sighs> I mean, uh, let's end that. Let's end that line of thought. 
but it just it shows that uh, politicians don't care about you. And I was seeing this about how we're going to have an election in Calgary at some point for the um, mayor and for the city council, and then we're potentially looking at a federal election. Trudeau is definitely going to announce that when it pleases him the most because he wants to win. And based on the stats, he probably will because the people in Ontario and Quebec really only care that they get money. They don't care if their civil liberties are completely uh, shat upon and destroyed. They don't care if uh, businesses that keep their country going are, are completely destroyed. They don't care about other provinces. It's all me, 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 me. At this point, when I'm hearing that, when you hear that the largest voting population is held in two provinces that get pandered to by the Liberal Party unbelievably, like, well... And yet they seem to barely get their way anyway. Like, it, and then where the economic drivers of the of the pro- country are just dumped upon as being like Alberta, being that Alberta makes the vast majority of the money for the uh, uh, wealth redistribution program that is. Uh, oh God, what is it? Oh, it's the equalization payments. The fact that Alberta has pretty much been the only source of that economic capability to do that until Saskatchewan in 2005 and Ontario in about 2007 was able to return to that status and then you have Newfoundland Labrador because of their oil holdings and BC is like just on the verge but then you you realize that most of that money goes to Quebec the vast majority of it goes to Quebec like so we're bribing a province to stay in the confederation maybe it's time to just kill the confederation maybe it's time that Canada ceases to be Canada Especially if a party can get political victory by promising the moon and delivering nothing of it except for one small area of this country to a set number of people. If Montreal and Quebec City are all that the federal government needs to make sure that they remain in power, besides from Toronto and Ottawa, and just throwing money at the um, old Union towns, which, by the way, um, Mississauga, London, Ontario, places like that, those those co- companies that are keeping you afloat for GM and Chrysler, they will eventually leave. And when they do, you will be completely stuck without a plan. And you will be, be much like Detroit is today and like Flint, Michigan is of yesterday. It will not end well. And the same will eventually happen in Alberta when these oil companies start realizing, well... Why are we giving a a ton of money to the Alberta government, which pretty much all they do is just say, yeah, you can drill here, but here's a exponential amount of what we get into. And if the political climate is always just a piece of junk, these companies are going to fly away too. The only slight benefit is with the Suez Canal issue that oil from Saudi Arabia was delayed, which made oil prices go, which might mean that the federal government and the United States federal government may be suddenly looking at like, Oh, well, maybe uh, maybe we should uh, get a pipeline to Canada, since it is technically clear than ship, co- train, and truck. But, yeah. One mistake is national headlines, but everyone remembers the Exxon Valdez, but nobody wants to say, well, that doesn't happen as often. It, well, pipelines leak considerably less than that, and you're usually much more contained in where they happen. Still, are there environmental damages to pipeline leaks? Absolutely! 
but they're identifiable. They're usually very quickly moved on. All right, well, you know, maybe I should just uh, end that uh, little one here. Skipped over some stuff I didn't want to do that was on the last one. Just, <laughs> just seems weird. You know, it, it's been over a year since this all started coming down in Canada and the United States. All the fear of COVID, and it's been here for a while, and there's been a very much no talk about a post-COVID future from any political group. What you've got has been the old-fashioned hope and prayer sort of thing, like hope that there can be a COVID future, pray that there will be a COVID future. And it, it seems like, unfortunately, the people who are saying that don't hope and don't pray for a COVID-released future. They go and sit down in their office and like, I've never had this power before. And if I was a conspiracy theorist, and I wanted to say, oh, government wants to take absolute power of everything, COVID would probably be the best way. We've never seen the stripping of liberties and rights from people so vastly done and so willingly accepted. Like the, Another article was about Canada, how we're just such a patient people. It's like, no, we're, we're really, <laughs> we are dopes when it comes to this. It's like, oh, yeah, we can... Yeah, it makes sense. We we can sit, stay at home for two weeks. Oh yeah, now it's two months. Oh yeah, we can yeah, give us a uh, give us our paychecks uh, through the mail. Government. Uh, yeah, we'll get the CERBs and sure, we won't do anything. Yeah, we'll go out with our mask. Oh, he's telling us maybe we need two masks on. Yeah. Oh, you need to wear masks even after vaccinated. Absolutely. It seems like eventually this is just gonna come to a boiling head where the polite, stereotypical Canadian has to disappear. And I think that, unfortunately, we're going to need a reckoning where it might be the government needs to say, yeah, remember the polite Canadians you guys were? Yeah, you can't do that anymore. You're done. Goodbye. Get out. I think that would be the only way to do it, in my opinion. Well, let's uh, let's end the episode there. Let's end the uh, grilled garlic shrimp joke episode from April 1st. By the way, this is uh, none of these things have been real April Fool's Day jokes. Uh, the only the one I saw that kind of made me chuckle for a minute was uh, <laughs> Disney World coming to Cochrane, uh, Alberta. That was kind of like, yeah, that's funny. The reason why it took me a second to think to realize when I first saw the headline, like, oh, this has got to be a joke, right? Uh, it was a joke. But the reason I clicked on it was, well, Disney did buy a warehouse in Cochrane for some filming work, so it's not unheard of that they don't start creating. Um, studio areas and then they start to decide well now we got studio presence here we should bother maybe we should put in a uh some sort of attraction for the local population but uh <laughs> yeah that's why that one had a slight tinge of believability in my brain just knowing that but still I'm like disneyland's and disney worlds are usually around populations that are at least five to seven million in the general area and have huge tourism that's not going to work here. And I mean, granted, Banff, it's a lot of tourism and people flying to Calgary to go to Banff, but nowhere near enough to make an amusement park such as that. I mean, our big amusement parks in Canada, the biggest one, which used to be Canada's Paramount Wonderland, I don't know what it's named anymore. Uh, that's still not, that's like, 
that's nowhere near the size of like a Disneyland, Disney World sort of thing. And that is really only supported by the Toronto metro area. <laughs> it couldn't survive without Toronto. And then you have, and then you cut down to like, oh, Callaway Park is for what it is. So the space it requ- the space it uses, it's a very good park. And then you've got the uh, amusement park in uh, in the West Edmonton Mall. And then you've got uh, there's definitely an amusement park around. Is there one? I have a feeling that there's got to be some sort of amusement park around Vancouver, but it just, I don't know. (sighs) Yeah. And I think for Montreal and Quebec City, they're so close to the American border, they probably just drive through to the U.S. to do a, I don't know. I just, a slight tangent on amusement parks there, (laughs) which is something I hope people get to enjoy this summer. Hopefully these numbers are going to go down because I think the problem is is that we're entering spring and people are still indoors with centralized heating systems. I think truly spring when we're able to get outside and people are able to be outside all day long is where we're going to start seeing these cases start to drop. But uh, we'll we'll know. And I don't think it helps that uh, eventually we're going to have to get to the point where we're finding out um, we might... I hope this would be, it's fantasy right now, but it may be possible reality, would be if um, these COVID tests could start telling us, okay, are you transmittable with it or not? Are you a carrier only to yourself or can you spread it to other people? I wish that there was a way they could start figuring that out, figuring out how far along on the infection are you. But, yeah, science fi- that's probably science fiction fantasy and... Uh, Speaking of COVID, the COVID vaccine passport thing. Oh, God. Ugh. You want know, to talk about eroding civil liberties having an absolute surveillance state? That is unbelievably the best way to do it. I hope nobody supports that. And like, if I flew into Canada and I had to uh, download their stupid app, I would delete it the day I got out of the hospital and just go about my life. I would make sure not to go to any restaurants, malls, or large population centers. I would tell people, hey, I'm still in technical quarantine, so I'm not going to go and hang out with anybody. But I'm going to go home. I'm going to go get food delivered. If I'm wearing the mask, that's supposed to drop the infection rate by 70% from me. Me, If I'm being okay with it, if I'm being very proper, it should be next to zero. Um, I mean, I'm a generally not the most social person out there anyway, so I'm probably a good case. But there's a lot of people who are very heavily extroverted that this time, this whole year must have been absolute hell, and I have nothing but uh, nothing but uh, sympathy for them going through this and empathy. Well, let's end the episode there. Uh, this has been Grilled Garlic Shrimp Joke on April 1st, 2021. This was not an April Fool's Day episode because... I don't really have any April Fool's today. (laughs) Thank you all for listening in.